Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to uh, welcome everyone who's downloaded this podcast today. I um, In our church, we've been having a a reading plan, and um, some of us have been reading through the Bible all year. We're nearly there, and uh, we're, due to, we're due to finish just before Christmas. And at the moment, um, the reading plan is, is 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 in Second Kings, and I've um, anticipated falling behind, so I've jumped ahead. If you see what I mean, and uh, so I've read a little bit. Of, I've read a few three days ahead, I think now. And I was reading these chapters, 2 Kings 18 and 19, just Friday, Saturday, Saturday morning. And I um, want to just talk about it a little bit. It's an amazing story. And rather than read it, I'll just set it up for you. The king of, the, of uh, Judah is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is one of the very few good kings of uh, Judah. Most of those of Israel in the north were, were, were poor. Hezekiah is a really good king. And the, one of the enemies, if you read your Old Testament, you'll know that the people of God were always worried about somebody attacking them. Sometimes three different groups at once. The people of Judah were sort of at war with the Assyrians. And 2 Kings 18 and 19 is the story of how the king of Assyria, who has already taken captive of the north uh, region of Israel, sets his eyes on the southern part. It's the equivalent of uh, an invading army uh, coming into the UK and taking over the whole of Scotland. And then coming down, you know, south and feeling like they're just like a hundred miles from us. It's that kind of feeling. And what happens is there's, there's a siege, and this is written of in uh, historical journals outside of the Old Testament. So there's a lot of historical uh, evidence for this attack. What happens is the Assyrians come and they kind of surround Jerusalem, they take over a lot of the nearby towns, and now they surround Jerusalem. But rather than attack it, the uh, field commander, we never know his name, but this is a picture of him here. The field commander steps forward and he begins to shout to the, you know, to the people sitting on the walls, Surrender. You are going to be defeated. Don't think that God is going to save you. You are going to be defeated. And in fact, he shouts it out in in, uh, a common language so that everyone will be able to hear it. Hezekiah learns of this, gets a bit depressed where you would be if there was a giant army around your city that's just taken over all the other areas. And he goes and he seeks God and he calls up 
Isaiah for some divine advice. And eventually the army is, uh, is uh, defeated and gone. But every time I read this story, and we'll, we'll read a bit of it in your Bible in a moment. But every time I read this story, you cannot help but have a sense that there is a diabolical, that means like a demon, a diabolical uh, element to the story. The way that the, the, the general, the field commander talks uh, to the people of God. He mocks them. He tries to get them to doubt their faith. He lies to them. It's one of the very rare instances in the Bible where you could take out the word field commander says and replace it with Satan says. There's a few instances like that in the Bible. In Isaiah 14, uh, Isaiah is talking about a star falling from the heavens. Uh, but there's an inference as you read it. This is actually more than just a star. This is, this is talking about the devil. In Ezekiel chapter 28, the prophet talks about uh, the king of Tyre. And, uh, and as you read it, you think to yourself, is this just an ordinary king? Or is, is actually this being referenced to, to a fallen angel, a, a satanic being? And we have the same thing here. This, this commander comes to the very uh, gates, if you like, of Jerusalem and begins to speak. And it feels like what I'll call today a diabolical encounter. More than just a man, but a spirit behind the man. And what goes on in this battle is actually a battle of words. It's his words, the, the commander's words, battling it out with Isaiah's words. And in case this sounds like a story from 710 BC or thereabouts, which it is, actually this is what goes on in our lives every day. A battle of words. His words, the enemy's words, versus the words of God. Sometimes our words versus the words of God. And so I want to just take a few moments this morning to walk us through this story, read a little bit of it, and see if some of it might find a resting place in your heart because most times we are not being visited by diabolical forces. You know the old story, I've told it many times, how the man rushes into church to see his minister. This is a very, very old story. And he says, oh, uh, please pray for me because the devil was in my bedroom last night. And rather than praying, the minister says, well, thank God for that. And he says, why are you thanking God? He says, well, if he was in your bedroom, that means he wasn't in mine. And this idea that, you know, we're being visited by the devil all the time, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. There's enough wickedness and sin in me to be getting on with all by myself without the need of the devil. But every now and then, every now and then, every now and then, something will happen in our life that is more diabolical 
more sinister. And the influence of a, of a wicked force, a devil, is involved. And we have to stand against these things. So let me walk you through a bit of this story that may help us because right now in your life, maybe there's a demon with a sword having a battle of words with you, mocking you, telling you that God is not going to come through for you because that's what this general does. God's not going to do it. Give up. Throw yourself down. Because God is not going to come through for you. That's what he says to them. And I think we have that experience sometimes. Can you say amen? Yeah. What can we learn? Number one, it begins with what I've called here a godly defiance. You're in 2 Kings 18. It says this in verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him. I said he was good, didn't I? There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Now that's a great CV for anyone. That's a great CV. But here's something that Hezekiah did that the other kings weren't so good at doing. And hadn't done, particularly at that time. Verse 7, halfway through, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now that's not something that the other kings had done. I'll let you know that. They had an alliance with him. They sent him money, actually, and uh, uh, sent him military aid. A bit like we might have today, where we're in some sort of you know, coalition with other nations. But here, Hezekiah feels enough is enough. And he does something that the kings before him had not done. In fact, he had a sort of an associate king that didn't do this. I think he waited until he died, until he took action. He did not serve the king of Assyria. And I think that puts Hezekiah in a certain place of what I'm calling here godly defiance or a godly rebel. In our terms today, he would not do the things the devil wanted him to do. And I want to suggest to you that while some know what it is to accept Jesus as their savior and become converts to Christianity, not everyone within that sphere of people who are, who are Christians, believing Christians, not everyone is defying the will of the devil. Do you understand what I mean? Some find place for him in their hearts. This man decided that he was going to be, if you like, radical for God. Not just a believer on his birth certificate, not just a believer because he was among other believers, but he was someone, he defied the king of Assyria. He went places that other people didn't go to, in, in, in the spirit, I mean. He was a radical, he was on fire, we, we, we would say on fire for Jesus, but 
It doesn't quite apply in the Old Testament, but you know what I mean. He was on fire for Jesus. He took the standards of his life very seriously, more serious than others. He defied the king of Assyria. And I want to encourage you because we do have a spiritual foe. And we try not to talk too much about him in this church except to tell people he's defeated. But we do have a spiritual foe. And you, if you're going to, if you're going to overcome him, you are going to have to defy him. Because he does not sleep. He does not quit. And he wants you to be lukewarm, tied up in tradition, tied up in sin. That's his will for you. And that's, his, that's what will happen by default unless you defy him and say, I will not uh, respond to the desires of my flesh. I will respond only to the will of the Spirit of God. You have to defy him. It is not default to be holy. In fact, it has to be customized into your heart. Do you understand? You have to reprogram your heart. So it began with a godly defiance. The king of Assyria wouldn't have given him any trouble had he been lukewarm. And I want to dare to suggest that the devil does not trouble many Christians because they are not a trouble to him. Someone say, oh, the devil is doing this and this and this. No, I think you're doing a pretty good job of it all by yourself. There's a wonderful cartoon written many, many years ago of a demon sat outside a church weeping. And as the people are coming out, they look at him, they say, what's wrong with you? He says, they're blaming me for everything in there. So it begins with defiance. But two, we discover that compromise only leads to more trouble. Look what he does, because he doesn't do everything right. In verse 13 of chapter 18, It says, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah. They're very, very close by. Captured them. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me and I'll pay you whatever you demand. And we won't read it, but you can see for yourself. He goes into the temple and he gets all this silver, all this gold, I read in my footnotes here, 10 tons of silver and a ton of gold. And he tries to pay his enemy off. In verse 16, we find he even strips off the gold from the doors of the temple to pay the king off. In verse 23 of that same chapter, while this general is making his taunts, we read this in verse 23, come now, make a bargain with my master. What I want to suggest to you is this, that when we make compromise, in fact, it just leads us into more trouble. As he began to strip the the, the doors of their gold and try to pay the army off, they were were under siege, you understand. People would 
starve. I mean, it's just ancient warfare, isn't it? Where you can't get food in and, you know, you, you are... You are surrounded. You, you, will, you will die inside without an arrow being fired. And so he begins to think, oh, uh, maybe I'm taking this all a bit too seriously. And so he begins to do a kind of a trade. Many Christians do that, of course. Many, many believers do that. Well, this is how far I'll go with Jesus this far, but, but I'm not going to go that far because that's much too expensive for I'd rather just stay here and be like all these people all, all these other guys around me, let me tell you that Christ has not asked you to be like Christians. He's asked you to be like Him. And He's, he's over here. And so the man of God does a compromise and thinks, well, I won't be too radical, but what does that do? It only causes him more trouble. Anyway, for, for time's sake, I won't develop that any further. Number three, we discover the target is the faith of the people of God. Chapter 18 and verses 19 to 22. This is what the field commander says. I promised you we'd get to it. Here it is. The field commander said to them, verse 19 of chapter 18, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. And here it comes, verse 22. And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must not worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now to verse 28. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew. That's so everyone will understand. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Verse 30, do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 31, do not listen to Hezekiah. And Then the very end of uh, that, uh, that little piece there, the middle of what would it be? The middle of verse 32, do not listen to Hezekiah. For he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. That's what the enemy is after. He is a thief. But you know what? He hasn't come to steal your money. He hasn't come to steal your health. He hasn't even come to steal your joy, although he will... Have a go at all of these things. The thing he's come to steal, most of all, is your faith. Because it is faith that saves you. It is faith that sustains you. The righteous shall live by what? By faith. So he comes to steal your faith. 
in the New Testament, Jesus said to Peter, he said, I want you to know, Simon, he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But he says, I have prayed for you. And then the sentence continues, and many don't read the the, the end of it. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He didn't pray for him that he'd be jolly or feel good or have a good time. He prayed for him that his faith would not fail. When you're going through a test, there is for sure something that will come into your mind. Is God really going to come through for me? When you're going through a trial, whether you are very devout in in your Christian faith or whether you are taking tentative steps in it, you will be faced with this question. Is God really going to come through for me? Now most of us are used to God not coming through for us when we've told him to. I love the phrase, you know, God is never late. Yeah, but he's never early either. And that's the problem, isn't it? You know, that's the problem we've got. Well, God's never late. <laughs> he's never late, but he's not a second early. And our main problem in our challenges is we want God to be early. And he's determined to arrive just on time. Which for us is normally a few months late. But there comes a thought when you go through the challenge. The doors are not opening. The illness has not gone. The conflict is still there. The way ahead is blocked. The bank account is zero. You begin to think, is God really going to come through for me? And right on your doorstep, the demon commander who has no power to do anything to you but to speak. It's the same with Goliath. Open the Bible and tell me, where does Goliath do any fighting? Nowhere. Nowhere. He's just the voice. And where does this Assyrian army do any fighting in Jerusalem? Nowhere. Just the voice. But it's a battle of words between what you have seen God has said and what you hear him say. And what does he say? Like he said in the Garden of Eden. Has God really said this? Oh no, no, no. You must have misunderstood. Because he comes to steal your faith. I'm not so much thinking about your saving faith. I'm thinking about that faith that sustains you day in, day out. That says God loves me and has got a plan for my life. And I, I know that things are going to be okay. And you begin to think maybe things are not going to be okay. Maybe we're not going to be able to do this. Maybe God's not going to come through for me. You know he's come through for others. But maybe, oh it's gone on years now. It's years and years and years. And right in that moment, the demon commander comes to the gate of your house to shout up at you as you lie there in the darkness of your bedroom at night, turning on this side, turning on that side. And you think it's your insomnia, but it's a devil's voice right into your heart. 
He can't jump on you. He can't give you cancer. He can't burn your house down or anything else you might have been told he can do. But he can speak. And the battle of words goes on. Do I believe this fear or do I believe the word of God? So he comes to take our faith. Number four here. His weapon is deception. You want to see what he says? Chapter 18 and verse 25. It's got to be my favorite verse in the whole thing. He says, furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? Boy, oh boy. He says this, the Lord told me to march against this country and destroy it. Oh yes. Oh yes. I'm the Holy Spirit really, he says. Yes, yes, no, no, no. I'm not a demon at all. I'm the Holy Spirit. Come to put some sense in you. Tell you, in fact, you should be very afraid of all that's going on. What are you doing? It's the Lord speaking to you. It's not the Lord speaking to you. Because God doesn't speak to you and put fear in your heart. It's not God, is it? It's not God. God doesn't come and test you in the, in the realm of taking away your love for him, your assurance in him. He says, no, 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 no. I am I'm the Holy Spirit, he says. Of course, we know in the New Testament, what does Paul say? Satan himself masquerades as what? An angel of light. An angel of light. For many months, myself and uh, Phil will remember this, but not too many others, we had what we believe was an encounter with an angel. The angel called himself faith. In fact, it turned out to be a demon spirit, not an angel at all. This is not a textbook for me today. For me, this is something that happened in 2002 in this very room. An angel seemed to be here, called faith, giving me information about heaven. Turned out to be an evil spirit. Satan does indeed masquerade as an angel of light. So he'll want to tell you. Oh no, 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 no. What's happening? This is this is God at work. God wants you to be depressed, to teach you something. Do you know what? I know that God sometimes permits the most terrible things to happen in our lives. We know that from the Bible, we know that from our experience. But this one thing I do know, Jesus Christ did not go into Nazareth or Galilee or Jerusalem, go into people's homes and give them cancer to teach them something about life. Can you say amen? For this reason, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one, not to replicate them. What does the king of Judah do? What does Hezekiah do? And of course, what should we do? So we've moved from chapter 18, we're now in chapter 19. What does he do? The first thing he does, and in fact, um, I've simplified the story that there's two occasions when this occurred. One time the 
general is at the gates shouting up. On another occasion, he sends a letter. It's true, isn't it, in life? It's not enough to be offended by them in person, but you have to go home and get an email as well. It's not enough to have some conflict, but, uh, you know, he thought, well, we'll just get this out on Facebook too. That's what happened. He sent him, he both shouted at him and then they withdraw and they, they send a letter saying very much the same things. We're going we're gonna to get you. The first thing is this. He gave the problem to the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 1, when Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, but he went into the temple of the Lord. Look at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then, what did he do? Go to the tavern? Go and have a word with his gloomy friend? <laughs> Go and find uh, uh, some other person who was down and lick each other's wounds? No, no, no. He went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. He took the the email from the from the commander and he thought I and he physically took it physically took it not just in a symbolic way he took the letter and went and just put it down in the temple of the Lord what was he doing he was doing something more powerful than putting it in his recycle bin or his delete bin you see, I can do Windows or Apple here. He went and he brought it and put the letter in the temple of the Lord. What was he doing? He's saying, this is not my problem. He gave the problem to the Lord. And oh, wouldn't it be great if you and I were really good at doing this. But we're not terribly good at this. We can have an altar call today, right here on the front. And I'm, I'm experienced enough to know that you can have an altar call that doesn't actually alter anyone's call. And you can, people can come and give their problem to God. And just for a moment, there's a, like a little euphoria, a release. And people feel better. But in actuality, for at least half of the people who might come and do that, tomorrow morning they'd still be thinking, ah! <laughs> because God is not early. When we give a problem to the Lord, what we're saying is, I'm putting this in your diary, I'm going to forget all about it. But in fact, we don't forget about it. And we stay burdened with it. And I, I'm speaking from experience, you know, when I say this. Because I'm not very good at this. Jane will say to me all the time, you've just got to give the problem to the Lord. I say, yeah, but the Lord's not going to make any of the phone calls. But she is right, of course. What does the man of God say? Cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. It's not just a song. 
response from the epistles of Peter. And when we have a demon at the door, oh yeah, we have to defy that, that enemy. But the problem, we must bring it to the Lord. And if you're hopeless at laying things at the foot of the cross, but putting them on a chain so that as you're walking, it starts to trail behind you again, then you're in good company. My earliest recollection as a kid was of Top Cat, who walked in and gave a tip to the, to the doorman, but it was on a rope. And he took it and then did it, did it, did it, did it. <laughs> it came straight back. I'm going to boomerang my problem to Jesus. <laughs> One, two, three. There it is. I'm going home. Uh, we're all a bit like that. But this is what the king did he gave the problem to the Lord. And you want to be careful about things that people write about you. Can I encourage you that if sometimes you think the devil created emails, just consider this, that God created the delete button. I was once sent a letter here, so vile, we've been cleaning the office out this week, and I found it again. It's so vile, I wouldn't let it come into my house. That's how vile it was. These are from a couple of born-again Christians who wanted to bless me. And um, honestly, it was so ugly that I would not allow it into my house. And it stayed in the drawer. And then we were tidying up, and there it was, like a ticking time bomb. And I looked at it, I thought, I know what's in here. And a little voice, open me. I'll just read. I've not read it for a few years. I'll just read. One minute in, I was straight back. Sometimes we need to destroy things. We need to destroy things. Anyway, it's just me bearing my own soul there. He gave the problem to the Lord. Secondly, while not denying the facts, he reminded himself of God's abilities. Let's look at his prayer. Verse 15. And he prayed to the Lord. 2 Kings 19.15 O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You understand why he's praying that? Because there's a general at his door with guns. And there's a famine in his city. And the guy has been at the gate going, don't listen to Hezekiah. In the same way that you can go home and think, I better really not listen to what they're telling me down at Tennyson Road because it's not working out. Don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. But here, he begins to think about the greatness of God. And when you're in trouble, you want to think about the greatness of God. Because if you think about the greatness of the trouble, 
You're going to be so depressed. You'll be watching Jerry McCall before the end of the week. He says, oh God, you made everything. And you rule over everything. You want to say that when you see your council tax bill come in? Oh, it's nice. But God made everything. And that letter comes through saying that the door you wanted open hasn't opened. Or when you sit with a GP and they tell you some news that you hadn't really figured on because you only went down there because you had a sprained wrist. Oh God, you rule over everything. And what this doctor has just told me does not change that. There's a God on the throne and his name is Jesus. And while this this door is locked, I, I can't get through it, but there's a king on the throne. His name is Jesus. While God is seated on his throne, we're going to be okay. Now when we get some news that God has been deposed, then we should worry. When we find out that there's been a vote and God's no longer in charge, we should worry then. But until such time, and of course I jest, what is there to worry about? My life is hidden with Christ in God. I wanted to read it this morning and I forgot as we were breaking bread. He who has given his son, will he not along with him freely give us all things? The eighth chapter of Romans. So he reminded himself of the abilities of God. Look at verse 3 of chapter 19. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. The reason I read that to you is because he didn't deny the problem. He didn't start skipping through the palace. Someone says, Sire, are you alright? There's an army out there. No, there isn't. There's no army. No, 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 no. It's just, it's, just in my, it's, it's just in your mind. No, there was an army. And they smelt. And they were cross. And they had weapons. He didn't deny the facts. And the walk of faith is not the walk of denying the facts. The walk of faith is saying, while I accept these facts, I understand that there's a God on the throne who sets people free. It says in Romans regarding Abraham that he accepted the fact, and in Hebrews, of course, that, that the, the womb was as good as dead, yet he believed God. It's not about denying the facts. It's not about saying, I don't really have a bill. Or I don't really have a problem. You do have a problem. But you, but you also have a solution. He said, this is a day of distress. But he reminded himself of the great power of God. Number three, we're nearly there. He sought the true word of God. In 19, chapter 19 of verse 2, he says, he sent... Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah. Wouldn't it be great if every time you had a problem, 
Isaiah.com was available to you. That would just be great. I just want to send a message to Isaiah. Have you got any, have you got any words? As I would say, well, I'll give you a word. Have you read my book? Well, not lately, to be honest, Isaiah, but uh, have you got a word? They went to Isaiah. And in 19, verse 5, um, well, look at verse 6. Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Like I said, it's a battle of words between the devil and the Lord. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put a, such a spirit in him, but when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Can you just imagine the incredible relief? Because, by the way, Isaiah could occasionally be a prophet of doom. You know that, don't you? In the next chapter, he goes to Hezekiah and says, put your house in order, going to die. So, you know, he wasn't always going to give you a blessing, Isaiah. Have you read his book? It's not all fun. But on this occasion, he says, do not be afraid. Now, I'm not Isaiah. And I don't know anyone quite like Isaiah. There's probably a few of them still around today. But I want to tell you this. To everyone who currently has a demon at the door, listen to me. Do not be afraid. Because it's all going to be all right. There's still a God on the throne. He who reigns between the cherubim, that's the, the top of the ark, isn't it? He says he doesn't just rule and dwell between the cherubim. He doesn't just operate in church, but he rules over the nations. He says, don't be afraid. He's not going to get you. This devil's not going to come through your gate. He can stand at your gate. He can rattle his sword. But he's not coming in. He's not coming in. Look at verse 32 of chapter 19. This is Isaiah continuing to talk. This is what the Lord says. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He won't shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a, a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. Whatever temptation you're facing now, whatever mockery or deception from your enemy, listen to me. Don't let him in. Don't let him in, into your heart. Don't let him into your thoughts. Forgive yourself for times when you've had begun to waver in your faith. Forgive yourself for times when you've been down or depressed or anxious because all the people of God had these problems. They all knew what it was to be anxious. They all knew what it was to pray prayers like, oh God, how long and why has this happened? They all did that. 
But I want you to know this, that this demon general is only at the gate of your house. He cannot come into your house and he'll only come into your heart if you open the door. Rather, seek the true word of God. What does the word of God say? In fact, I've been to meetings where people would take their Bible and hold it up to the devil for him to read. I tell you, if you really want the devil to read it, you have to put it on the bottom of your shoes because it's the only place where he's able to read anything. The devil is not up here in the sky. The devil is where? Underneath our feet. You want him to read something? You better put it on the bottom of your shoe because it's the only place where he's going to read it. This is the word of God. This is the truth of the gospel. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You say, no, I'm not. I'm in a flat in Arbury. Yes, I know that. But you are also seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He sought the true word of God. He didn't listen to his fears. He listened to Isaiah. He didn't listen to what the general said. He listened to what God said. This is a battle, I said. goes on in our lives every day. Who are we going to hear? Who's got our attention? Who's got our attention? That's why we have to go back to the word of God. Christianity does not center itself around worship experiences. Glorious though they are. But a word-based lifestyle and faith. When all our churches have burnt down, may it not be. But when all our churches have burned down, all our instruments are gone, if, if all of this was taken away from us, don't take this away from us. Because by the word of the Lord, we shall live. Finally, he gave the problem to God. He didn't deny the facts, but he reminded himself that God was in charge. He sought the true word of God. And finally, he witnessed God in action. Let's pick it up in verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And then we read in the next couple of verses to end the chapter. He died shortly afterwards. Hallelujah. Whose report shall we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Whose report shall we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. One more time. Whose report shall we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.